Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Good afternoon and welcome once again to another episode of Logistics with Purpose. My name is Enrique Alvarez and I'm delighted to be here with you today. This is going to be a very interesting conversation as the ones that we usually have. Christy, how are you doing today? Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I am um, really ready for this conversation. I... uh, this is somebody we've talked about, wanted to have on for a while. We're a fan of this company. And so I think this is going to be another great interview. And just having read up on our guest online, I got even more excited to have him on. So um, he's going to have some great things to share. So without further ado, we're excited to welcome Marcus Chung, who is the Vice President of Manufacturing and Supply Chain at Third Love. So please help us welcome Marcus. Hey, Marcus, how are you doing? Good afternoon. Good, thanks. Welcome. Thank We're you. so excited to have you here. Um, I was just saying how much I uh, we got introduced online, and then I read a little bit more about you, and then got even more excited to have you on. So we're excited to dig a little bit more into just your background and learn more about you, as well as about Third Love and all the great things you guys are doing, and how you have really taking the initiative upon yourself to blend social impact and supply chain. So I think it's going to be super helpful. But for us to just get started a little bit, we want to hear more about you. So tell us a little bit about where you grew up in your childhood. Great. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to chat about social impact and supply chain topics that are near and dear to my heart. So I'm based in San Francisco. Third Love is based here in San Francisco. And I'm originally from the Bay Area. So I grew up about 40, 45 minutes south of the city where Silicon Valley is today. But in the 70s and 80s, when I was growing up, it was really orchards, lots and lots of orchards. And so it was a very different environment than today. But Grew up in the Bay Area, California, born and raised. Um, My parents both immigrated from Hong Kong. My mother when she was a teenager, my father when he was an adult, and, you know, really sort of like lived the experience as a first-generation Chinese-American in the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, Silicon Valley has changed a lot (laughs) since that time. (laughs) Tremendously. startups. Yeah, very cool. Thank you. So, Marcus, any kind of um, experience that you can share with us and our audience uh, of those kind of early days that probably shaped who you are now? Maybe some piece of advice that your mom or your dad gave you or something that kind of still you keep still close to you and that it's actually meaningful uh, to continue doing what you're doing. Yeah, so I think one of the things that early on I experienced was spending time with my parents and grandparents while they worked. So my grandparents started a restaurant um, in Menlo Park, California. And I remember spending a ton of time just in the restaurant, sitting with my grandmother as she was processing, um, you know, bills and credit cards. And, you know, my grandfather, I would observe in the kitchen on his feet all day cooking. And I think what that did for me was really understand the value of hard work, but not only just hard work, but honestly, physical work. And my mother, Operate. She still operates, you know, 45 years later, the small 
boutique and you know she's in there every day managing inventory selling to her customers so i definitely grew up in an environment not where my parents or family were in sort of white collar office jobs but sort of what you would equate to sort of more hourly type physical work and that i think gave me an appreciation for you know workers throughout the supply chain where i've i've spent a lot of my energy and time thinking about um because that was the work that was that I was exposed to and that I, I knew growing up. Yeah, sounds like you got an early start and exposure with retail too, which is we're going to learn is taking up a lot of your time and energy over the years. So before we get super current with Third Love, tell us about how what you did before there, what your professional years have looked like leading up to Third Love. Yeah. So I, like many people, didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. I ended up. I still a, don't know. And actually, <laughs> no. I probably still don't know. There's still a lot more I'd love to explore. Yeah. I ended up going to undergrad on the East Coast. I went to Wesleyan University, which is a small liberal arts school. And I think, um, again, not knowing what I wanted to do after that, I double majored in very useful things like English and French, (laughs) which partially was motivated by me wanting to spend a semester abroad in Paris. So that was a great experience. But coming out of undergrad, I went into consulting and I think it was a natural path because, um, again, not wanting to yet pick a lane, it continued to allow me to grow and to learn and to figure out what does business look like. And again, as I mentioned before, none of my, neither of my parents worked in an office. And so that was just acclimating to that environment was, was new and different and trying to figure out what that meant and looked like. And so consulting was a great way for me to learn a lot about different types of companies and industries and start to dabble in understanding what might become a future career path. I continued my path of learning by going to business school. I returned to California, went to the Haas School of Business at UC Berkeley. And it was there that I was actually first turned on to sustainability and corporate responsibility. When I started at Haas, the school also began the Center for Responsible Business that same year. And so I had no idea that there was a career in corporate responsibility or corporate sustainability that was not something that I had even thought about. And this was early 2000s. And so not many companies had um, established teams that were focused on this. But I was inspired by this idea of using the the power of business to have a positive social and environmental impact because of the scale that businesses have, whether in the community where they operate or through supply chains, the reach that they have globally. So I intuitively knew that there are so many resources that go into the private sector. If you could harness some of those resources, a fraction of those resources to have a positive impact, you could have a really, really outsized impact on people and the planet. So that idea appealed to me. And I was lucky to start working at Gap in a role where my first, so I was in this, I, I worked in strategy, but my first project was to help develop a cohesive corporate responsibility strategy for the company. So while the company was doing you know, work within the supply chain on human rights and labor rights. There was some environmental impact work that was going on. There was pockets of work happening here and there. My job was to pull it all together, figure out what the strategy meant across different functions and across the different brands that Gap operated, like Gap, Old Navy, Banana Republic, and to figure out what the org structure would be to be able to advance on the objectives that were set out. So it was a really unique opportunity to do something at a large company that you know hadn't been done before. And so 
through that strategic lens that I learned in consulting was able to help the company come up with the CSR strategy and team. And after that was formed, I joined it. And so that, <laughs> that was um, really something that I was so pleased to do, to be at a company where we were investing in social impact. And at the time, the majority of the work that we did was focused on protecting workers in the supply chain. So you know, Gap worked with wow. thousands of factories all across the world in, I think, 30 to 40 countries. And in some of these countries, there's limited rule of law or limited enforcement of regulations. And companies have had to step in to make sure that workers are not being exploited in factories, in garment factories specifically. So that was my entry point into um, supply chains, into the apparel industry. Wow. It was through the lens of trying to protect workers' rights. So that was a huge learning for me. It was the first time I got exposure to the relationship between a brand and its suppliers and vendors and understanding the impact and influence that companies can have on the supply chain. So that sort of set me off on this course of like being in the supply chain, being about social and environmental impact. And then throughout my career, I've actually kind of graduated or gradually shifted more to the economic and commercial aspects of supply chain management, went to a few other apparel companies. And now at Third Love, I am responsible for managing the end-to-end -end supply chain from sourcing and production through operations and logistics, not necessarily through the lens of social or environmental impact, but because that's where I started, that's still how I think about my role. Right. Um, concurrently with making sure that we're delivering on our cost and quality and, and timeliness goals. No, that sounds like an incredibly trajectory and a great experience as well. Very, uh, very successful experience as well. And before I ask you a little bit more about Third Love, and, and I'll ask you to kind of uh, describe what the company does and just to make sure that everyone that's listening to us understands what you do, how old the company is, what you stand for and all that. I mean, just in general, uh, in such a exciting and, and also successful career that you've had what are kind of like the top two or three things that you could uh maybe recommend or, or or suggest to people that are just now finishing school or just now starting to look into logistics i think that logistics uh due to the pandemic and the, all the challenges that we're going through has become uh finally i would say uh important and relevant and sometimes even um yeah, people are looking into it and with different eyes. And so what would you kind of tell to those kind of younger people, people that are want to move careers and start in logistics? Yeah, so I think for people who work in logistics and supply chain, there are a few attributes or qualities that are important to exhibit. One is you can't be afraid of change. Things are changing constantly. And so you have to be the type of person who actually enjoys the environment where things are not steady. And you have to like to solve problems. Every day, I, my team, we wake up to you know, dozens of emails and most of them are, this is going wrong. And so how yeah. do you jump in to yeah. figure out the solution um, that you need to bring to be able to get your product where it needs to be or to get your costs down or whatever the problem of the moment is. And so it's fast paced, it's dynamic, but it isn't for everyone. But if you're interested in, creative problem solving and a very dynamic, fast-paced environment, then supply chain and logistics is really an area that I think people would thrive in, but it's often overlooked. And so I like to tell people like, it's really an exciting part of the business. 
It definitely is. And I think that people are not realizing that it really moves the world. I mean, without logistics, yeah. without supply chains, as we have clearly seen over the last couple of years and more, I mean, the last months, things just cannot move. The economies cannot function. But uh, now going back to the third law, uh, if you could explain for us like a little bit more about what the company is, what do they do, and um, a little bit of their history. Yeah, so Third Love was founded, um, I think, about eight years ago. There are three co-founders, Heidi Zach, David Spector, and Rael Cohen. And it really came about the idea when Heidi, who's our co-founder and CEO, couldn't find a bra that she loved and didn't like the experience of shopping for a bra that was out there. She didn't like going into stores. She didn't like the very sexy imagery that was being pushed um, on customers. And she also didn't like the experience of having to go in and get measured for a bra. So she felt like there had to be a better way. Online e-commerce, digitally native brands were not really a thing at that time. And there's probably only a handful of brands that were digitally native. And she thought this has to be a new way to be able to shop for bras, as well as to sort of throw out the old playbook of being all about you know, a certain body type and image and about being sex and being more about inclusivity and embracing women of all shapes, sizes, ages, ethnicities. And so came about with creating Third Love. And so we're a women's everyday essentials company. So we've expanded beyond bras and underwear to a few other categories. We're about premium quality and we're about inclusivity. So it's been really exciting to be a company that has stood for these things. And that was something that I was excited about joining Third Love is the purpose and the mission behind the company. And also just being at a D2C brand where I think a lot of energy and dollars are shifting away from um, traditional brick and mortar retail. Wow. Yeah. Very cool. Um, yes. As the representative woman on screen. I will say thank you, Heidi, for <laughs> disrupting the industry. <laughs> for sure. And yeah, I, I, I know we'll get into a little bit more of your giving back um, and some of the things you guys are doing as a company, but let's first start a little bit with your position, which you talked a little bit about earlier. And I'd like you to explain a little bit more because for an audience like this, VP of Manufacturing and Supply Chain is a, probably a very familiar title to a lot of people, but you by your own initiative in a lot of ways and through your previous experiences, you found some great ways to also anchor what you do into social responsibility, especially as we were talking about before we got on, you guys don't have a formal CSR department or anything like that. So will you talk just a little bit more about how supply chain and social responsibility play out in your role? Yeah. So, you know, we're still a startup. We're, we're quite a small overall team, which is why we don't have a big CSR team. We don't have like a dedicated PR or marketing person who's focused on CSR. So, and that's one of the things I love is that you have to then integrate it into what you do if you're passionate about it. And, you know, I think we've seen many companies come at CSR from a marketing perspective. And I believe, you know, you can't get ahead of the operations in communicating. So, Whatever you communicate, you have to back it up with actions, and it starts with the operations. So for me, it's how can I integrate this idea of making decisions through the lens of social and environmental impact in the business that we do every day? There are some roles on my team where um, I've created goals on can we improve the can we improve working conditions in the factories or can we source more sustainable raw materials? So one of the 
roles that reports into my team is raw material sourcing and development. And, you know, working with our manager of raw materials, I said, even though it's not a company mandate, let's source a few organic cotton options. Let's source some recycled nylon. Let's present those options to the design team and see if there's an opportunity to make our product more sustainable. And so when you're in that role and the person doing that job, you can actually make things happen in a way where if it's coming from a different function and saying, hey, we, we want to look at this, then it becomes harder. So I feel like being in that role, I'm able to drive a lot more thinking in terms of sustainability and social impact. And then furthermore, you know, I'm also responsible for end of life. You know, we do get a lot of returns and exchanges that cannot be sold back. And so we partner with a number of different donations partners. We try to donate as much product as possible, gently used bras that um, actually, you know, I didn't know before coming to Third Love is one of the most requested items in women's shelters. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if somebody has lost their home, if somebody is fleeing a bad situation and she's in a shelter, like oftentimes like she needs un underwear and socks are one of the, yeah. those are the top most requested items. And we're in a unique position to be able to donate gently used product. So finding those types of partnerships has been really fun and really, and then, you know, we also work with a partner who for the product that can't be donated actually upcycles it into different uses. So some of the product gets upcycled, gets shredded and then upcycled into punching bags, for example, um, or insulation. So there's, you know, being able to find solutions with impact in mind has been something that I have enjoyed bringing to the table at Third Love. No, it's definitely, definitely relevant. It's very important. We actually were talking to uh, Bombas a couple of episodes ago and yeah. uh, they do the same and they said the exact same thing is uh, underwear and socks. And it's great that uh, you can, uh, through the end of life, uh, through the end of uh, life cycles that you have at Third Love, kind of help other people that otherwise would probably not have this, uh, the opportunity. So that's the question. So is, you come from a from from consulting, and then you went to Gap, and you were in charge of uh, supply chain and and making sure that you were sourcing responsibly. And so you have all this background uh, that kind of speaks to who you are as an individual and and the things that you believe in and how important it is for you to change the world. But why do you think at uh, Third Love it's so important to not only integrate all these different functions like the sourcing, the corporate responsibility, the uh, logistics itself? Um, what, what's why 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 do companies like yours do this what's what's in what's in there for for you and for third love yeah that's a great question and i think that you know as i mentioned when i started in business school in the early 2000s you know corporate responsibility was new and it was right. there were a few companies that were doing any work in the area you know fast forward 20 years later it's becoming table stakes i think customers are expecting companies to be corporate citizens. They're expecting them to play a role in their communities. And I think there's just a very different customer mindset today than there was before. So for a company like Third Love that was founded less than a decade ago, we're a mission-driven company and definitely wanted to make sure that we walk the talk. And I think we also are hiring people who, you know, this is kind of crazy to say, but it's a new generation of worker and they're coming in and they want to make sure that their jobs have purpose too, and that they're spending their time, not only making a company successful, but leaving their own personal impact. So I think you're getting this 
pressure, but pressure in a positive way from all sides, from your employees, from your customers, from investors even. So for a company that's not integrating social responsibility or impact into all that they do, I think that they're um, they're going to be a laggard. They're behind the times. They're not going to be the company of tomorrow. I agree. So it's just basically you do it or you'll be uh, you'll be gone in a couple of years, yeah. basically. Right. Which is exciting. And it's uh, very uh, inspiring for the world that we all want to and wish to live in. So that's that's pretty good. I mean, it, so you think the the future and the outlook of uh, the human race and the world in general looks more um, positive? Uh, yeah, I think so. You have a lot more companies that are blending financial and social impact. You have the rise of B corporations. Um, there's just many more business models out there that are not um, exclusively motivated by profit, but also think through what legacy they're leaving behind. So I, I think that that's a trend. I'm hopeful that companies that are legacy companies are adapting. You do see that. And, you and you know, Christy, you pointed out that there is um, the rise of other of corporate responsibility at, at big companies. So I think that this is a trend that's not going away. And to have a mindset that companies in the private sector are only focused or should only be focused on profit is, is an outdated mindset. And I think the reality we live in today is expectations are different. Yeah, I, we completely agree. We're, we're with you. We're ready to lead the revolution. Yes. <laughs> um, but I also want to get back to you. Uh, clearly, you have such a depth of experience. A lot of that has been in the apparel industry for everything from um, workers' rights to sourcing to supplying to end of life cycle. I'm curious if you could share because the apparel industry. I can only imagine starting at even a place like Gap, like you mentioned, that has thousands of suppliers. And oh, let's just let's make that better. How do you do that? You know, that's a, a very large job, and you you've tackled that on both a large and small scale in um, startup and established companies. So, um, I'd love for you to just discuss a couple of lessons learned about um, supply chain and responsible sourcing or even workers' rights that others can learn from, whether they're at a startup themselves or they're an established company trying to make that pivot? Yeah, that's a good question. I think companies of all sizes can do something in the space of workers' rights when it comes to the suppliers that they work with. So at Gap, um, we were lucky to have a lot of resources and a mandate to go above and beyond. And when I was there, the company launched the PACE program, which was all about um, investing in the women in the factories so that they had longer and more um, fruitful careers mm -hmm. and educating women about um, budgeting and household budgeting and being able to take control of um, their own destinies. And so that was above and beyond because Gap invested in nonprofit partners to go and actually do some educational programs at the factories um, where, you know, like that was never a requirement. So, you know, coming from a company that has a ton of resources, that seems like obvious and great. But I've also worked at smaller companies where we didn't have the resources or the same type of mandate. And there are definitely steps you can take. So at Third Love, for example, we do audit factories. Um, we bring in third-party experts to assess whether or not factories are um, treating workers well, if they're being paid a fair wage, if the conditions of the factory are um, healthy and safe. And so we manage that. 
And then when there are opportunities for improvement, we work with factories directly to say, here are the things that we want to see changed. And that, again, going back to earlier in the conversation, realizing the, the influence that a brand can have with their vendor partners, that you can actually then see the improvement in working conditions at a factory that you work with. And I think one of the most effective things that I've done, not only at Third Love, but at other companies is to create an integrated scorecard for factories. So we measure factory performance based on cost, quality, delivery, you know, product development, and their social responsibility or responsible sourcing score. So that is part of the conversation that we have with factories when we say, here's how you performed this quarter. Here are the areas, areas we want to see you improve in. Here's where you're doing well. And sharing that internally and saying, if we want to work with better factories, let's reward these top scoring factories with more business. So that's, I think, one easy step. Not easy. It's not easy. But it's a step that any company can take is to integrate your assessment of factories with responsible sourcing. That's really smart and it seems like something that actually can make kind of uh, support this cycle of constant improvement um, one thing i've always been curious about this and which work with uh, china and asia and a lot of different countries around the world how do the suppliers kind of take this kind of uh, measures and audits i mean do they two things actually the first question would be how, how do they take it do they feel like this is a good sign of you wanting to partner with them or do they go and oh here comes marcos again he's gonna do the <laughs> make us do this and that and and the second part of the question is like how can you uh make sure that those relationships that you have with your suppliers continue to evolve and continue to improve because i'm guessing you're just as strong as kind of the the weakest link in your supply chain almost right so you want your manufacturers to be as strong as you and you want your logistic company to be as strong as yours as well so yeah. So um, I think I've seen a range of responses. There are definitely vendors and factories out there who get it and understand that they want to treat workers well as well. And, you know, that helps them with their business objectives in terms of retention and productivity even. So you get those factories that are like, great, you know, let's work together on these issues. Let's make sure we're always improving. I want to, I want to have the top score, so I'm going to do whatever it takes. And then you have factories that are more reluctant. And I think it's similar to what we just talked about. The factories that are not embracing their people and taking care of their people and taking care of their communities are going to be left behind. So many, you know, Third Love is certainly not the only company doing factory audits. Almost every company does some form of factory audit or assessment. So if they're not working with customers that are expecting this of them already, and they're not taking a proactive approach to improve working conditions on their own, then they're probably not going to be, get, they're not going to get the business that they'll want. So I think as an industry, the apparel industry has come a long way since the 90s and has really improved working conditions. You know, I remember in the 80s and 90s, there was a lot of talk about child labor. You really rarely, if ever, see child labor cases in factories these days. And I think it's because factories know that if they want to work for the biggest brands, they they cannot stand for that. So, so change has happened and factories have to come along, but you know, there are some, some need to be convinced more than others for sure. Yes. I can only imagine. Well, you've talked a little bit about some of the wins you guys have experienced at third love, but I'd love 
for you to just hone in a little bit more before we wrap up here. Just tell us some of the things you're most proud of from a company standpoint, from a sourcing and supply standpoint. I know you've mentioned the donations and some of the other things that you guys have done, but I know there's there's some more out there. I even recently read an article about one of the, I guess, upcycling endeavors was that like extra straps and things were going to help turtles <laughs> um, and help um, rehabilitate them. So talk about that. I know you've got some mentoring projects going on and just, yeah, this is your time to share the wins, what you guys are doing. Yeah, there's so much. So let's, let's talk about turtles first, because that was a really unusual and creative creative solution. So, you know, the bra clasps have hooks and eyes and Heidi, who's our CEO had forwarded me this article about a nonprofit in North Carolina that every summer was reporting that turtles really sadly get get run over by cars and their shells crack. And so they were using, it was really ingenious. They took the hooks and eyes, they glued them to the shells and took string and pulled the shells back together and they would heal over time. So we reached out to them and said, could you use more bras or <laughs> um, hooks and eyes? And they, they enthusiastically said yes. And so every year we've made a donation of um, bra clasps so they can continue to help turtles. And wow. that was not, I have, would never have thought about that. Yeah. But, Talk about um, out of the box. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah, that's such a good solution, right? Yeah. <laughs> and our employees <laughs> love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, that that's one small thing that we've done, but has been really fun to be a part yeah. of. Other things I'm proud of, you know, the company really just has taken a stand on inclusivity. And a few years ago, took out a full page ad in the New York Times talking about, you know, what we wanted to stand for versus Victoria's Secret when they had made very sort of um, offensive comments about trans people, about larger women. And so I was really proud that the company took a public stance against what was at the time a standard of, of, of how you market intimates. And so that was definitely a milestone. You know, we just launched our first organic cotton product, which has been quite a bit of time in the making. So I'm glad that came to market and you can find that on the website now. So I'm really proud that we were able to do that. And then you you mentioned mentorship. So one of the things the company launched recently is called the TL effect. And every quarter or so we invite people to apply for a grant and we will make a financial grant, but um, more importantly, we will mentor female Mm -hmm. founders of color. Um, So if you are a startup founder, you're a woman of color and it's in the consumer facing space, we invite you to apply for the TL effect. And through that personally, I've been able to mentor two amazing women um, founders of color and have helped them hopefully in some small way scale their business because supply chain is not usually where founders are are focusing their attention or know a lot about. And so I've hopefully been able to be useful. But for me personally, um, being able to mentor these women has been has been really amazing. So that that's a program that I'm so proud of for Third Love. And our founder um, and CEO Heidi came up with this idea. And I think it's been an amazing way to leverage core competencies across the team to be able to help other businesses grow. Must be very empowering, not only for the women that are actually, of course, in need of some of this support and mentorship that you provide, but then for you, I mean, it's very similar to these interviews that we're conducting uh, with people like yourself. We're somewhat selfishly do them because we, they definitely make us feel better. I mean, it, it gives us hope. It gives us like a good example to follow. And of course, it highlights companies like yours and Third Love and 
and people like you with the kind of a mindset that we need to make sure this world really continues to head in the right direction when when if you tune into the news like everything seems to be like so overwhelmingly negative right so yeah. so this is great and uh it's amazing to have you here thank you so much for giving us a little bit of your time to participate in, in this episode of logistics with purpose well thanks so much for having me it's been a pleasure marcus yeah. where can this uh women and everyone if any one of us has friends where can they apply for this tl effect program yeah. and where can they find out a little bit more about third love and maybe even career opportunities with you guys Yeah, so everything is on our website, thirdlove.com. Um, if you go to the blog section, there is information about the TL effect. Okay. And of course, while you're on there, do some shopping. Yes, please <laughs> buy more of the organic cotton product or any of the product. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for your time. This has been so great. Um, I've loved learning even more about the company and um, appreciate everything you do, and especially being in the same industry as you we're always excited to talk to people who are making strides and sounds like you guys are disrupting on multiple levels so thank you so much for everything that you do and please thank the third love team for us and um we'd like to thank all the listeners for tuning in too and if you enjoyed this conversation please subscribe there's more good news to come thank you so much marcus have a good day thank you thanks for being a part of our supply chain now community Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.